Welcome to Passion. For more information about Passion, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress.
Jesus, because you're alive. Not only did you die, but you arose from the dead. And I worship you, Jesus. And I'm excited about your presence here today. And I give you glory and I give you praise in Jesus' name. Come on, turn your neighbor and say, you look good, but not because you're dressed up. Come on, tell them. Oh, you look good because Jesus is alive in you today. Amen. Man, I'm excited Jesus is alive. Come on, tell your neighbor, Jesus is alive. Come on, we're celebrating today. Jesus is alive. Amen. Then you may be seated in the house of the Lord this morning. We're excited that you're here at Passion. It's a special day. It's been a special week. Uh, if you will, I want you to, if you have your Bible, I want you to get your Bible out. We're going to go right into God's Word this morning, and you'll understand what's going on here in a minute. But uh, we want to start this new series. We'll be doing this new series, uh, or in this series, for about the next uh, three weeks. I encourage you to be here during the course of this series, especially week three. There's something that's going to take place on week three that I'm so excited about. Not that you can skip week two, but uh, I, I you know, just want to give you some advertisement on week three. I encourage you to be here. It'll be different. Genesis chapter 48. Uh, I want to go into the Old Testament and uh, read a portion of Scripture, uh, several portions there, and then talk to you about what's going on in this story. Genesis chapter 48, beginning of verse 1, it says this. Sometime later, Joseph was told, your father is ill. So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, along with him. And when Jacob was told, your son Joseph has come to you, Israel rallied his strength and sat up on the bed. Verse 5. Now then, this is Israel speaking. Now then, your two sons born to you in Egypt before I came to you, came to you here, will be reckoned as mine. Ephraim and Manasseh will be mine, just as Reuben and Simeon are mine. Then verse 8 says, when Israel saw the sons of Joseph, he asked, who are these? They are the sons God has given me here, Joseph said to his father. Then Israel said, bring them to me so I may bless them. Now Israel's eyes were failing because of old age, and he could hardly see. So Joseph brought his sons close to him, and his father kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face again, and now God has allowed me to see your children too. Then Joseph removed them from Israel's knee and bowed down with his face to the ground. And Joseph took both of them, Ephraim on his right toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh on his left towards Israel's right hand, and he brought them close to him. But Israel reached out his hand, his right hand, and put it on Ephraim's head, though he was the younger, and crossing his arms, he put his left hand on Manasseh's head, even though Manasseh was the firstborn. Then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they be called by my name and the names of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and may they increase greatly upon the earth. And when Joseph saw his father placing his right hand on Ephraim's head, he was displeased. So he took hold of his father's hands to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to him, No, my father, this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He too will become a people, and he too will become great. Nevertheless, his younger brother will be greater than he, and his descendants will become a group of nations. He blessed them that day and said, In your name will Israel pronounce this blessing May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. So he put Ephraim ahead of Manasseh. Isaiah chapter 53, familiar portion of scripture. 
Isaiah 53, verse 4 and 5 says this. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. And in the Message Bible it says this. But the fact is, it was our pains he carried, our disfigurements, all the things wrong with us. We thought he brought it on himself, that God was punishing, for, punishing him for his own failures. But it was our sins that did that to him, that ripped and tore and crushed him. Our sins. He took the punishment, and that made us whole. And through his bruises, we get healed powerful story in the Old Testament. Israel, you know him as Jacob. His name has been changed. He's now residing in Egypt. Uh, there's been a famine on the land and you remember the story how Joseph comes through and he brings back a family restoration and the whole family comes and enjoy and joins uh, Joseph there in Egypt and now we discover that Israel or Jacob is advanced in age. He's about to pass away and because of his, his advanced age he's extremely sick and about to die. The Bible says that Joseph gets word that his father is ill and so what he does is when he discovers his father's condition, he grabs his two sons, uh, the oldest son Manasseh and the youngest son Ephraim, and he rushes to his father's side to see his dying father. And when he gets there, Israel speaks to Joseph and he says, you know, I didn't expect to even get to see you again. I thought you were dead and God has made it possible for me to see you. But not only is he able to uh, and allowed me to see you, God is so good now he's allowed me to see your sons as well. And Jacob or Israel recognizes that his days are coming to an end and something peculiar takes place. In that setting, in that moment, what happens is Israel speaks to his son Joseph and he says, you know what I'm going to do? I am going to legally adopt your sons. They are no longer my grandsons. They are in fact now my own children. I'm taking them as my own. I am causing them to become my sons. I adopt them. I give them legal rights and legal standing. And what he does is he takes those two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, and he replaces uh, two sons, uh, Joseph, and he replaces Levi because Levi has been separated as the priest now. And so now these two sons, in essence, become the 11th and the 12th tribe of Israel. He grants them sonship. They receive this grafting, if you will, into the family. And then because Israel perceives his own demise, he recognizes that his days are coming to an end and that his death is quickly approaching. He decides that it would be proper to lean forward. It says that he set up in his bed and he comes forward in the bed and he gives what is the patriarchal blessing. We don't understand that concept today. That, that is foreign to us, but they didn't operate on written, written wills. They operated in verbal grantings and, and patriarchal blessings. And so Israel gives that powerful blessing to these two boys. Now, what happens is that Joseph grabs his two sons and he brings them to his father and he stands them in front of his father, his ailing father. And interestingly enough, Manasseh being the older, 
and Ephraim being the younger, something interesting takes place. Come here, Seth. You're going to be Ephraim. You're the youngest, all right? I need somebody old. Come here, Tari. I only did that because Danny's stuck in the sound booth and can't get here before. You know, come here, Tari. You're going to come over here, all right, and face that way. All right, and I get to be dad for a moment. Okay, here's my youngest son. Here's my oldest son, all right? This is Manasseh. This is Ephraim. Uh, I need somebody getting really old. Come here, Daddy. And, uh, <laughs> oh, I'm in trouble now. Have you ever gotten a spanking on Easter? I'm getting ready to get one right here in front of God and everybody. All right, he's going to be Israel, and his eyesight is failing. Uh, uh, yeah, and his, he can't hear anymore. We know that's a reality. And so, but, but Joseph... He's, he wants this to happen in, in, in those days, in the tradition of those days, the oldest son was supposed to get the birthright. It wasn't that the youngest son got nothing, but he was supposed to get more because he came first. And so he stood them in this position on purpose so that when the father reached out, the right hand would rest on the head of the oldest son, Manasseh, and the, the left hand would rest on the younger son, Ephraim. But here's what happens. The Bible says that when Israel stretched out his hands, that a switch occurred. And the right hand, the strong hand of blessing, the, 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 the extra portion now rests on the younger. And he's got short arms because you're going to have to move in here. And the left hand rests on the oldest son, right? So that's what literally takes place. All right, thank you guys. So that's a visual explanation of what happens. A switch has occurred. Now, the interesting thing about that is the Bible says that Joseph gets upset and says, Daddy, you got it all wrong. I know you can't see anymore, and you don't understand what's going on. You're getting kind of old, maybe a little senile, and you missed it. And so the Bible says that Joseph reaches out and grabs his dad's hands and tries to correct him. But listen to the word that is used, because the Bible says that Israel did it knowingly. In fact, if you go back to the King James, which we don't do very often anymore, but, but if you go back and read it there, the words that are used is said that, that Jacob or Israel did it wittingly or purposely. He crossed his hands and extends that patriarchal, that strong blessing to the younger son, Ephraim. A switch took place. And in essence, what has happened is that now Israel is declaring that the youngest son, Ephraim, will now be greater than the older son, Manasseh. If you will, he places Ephraim in front of Manasseh and then he blesses him. So what is the big deal? What, what is the difference? What, what significant? Maybe the, the aged father just made a mistake. I mean, he was sick and he was getting, he was getting older and he just makes a, a, an honest mistake and no big deal, right? But we need to go back and recognize the impact of that exchange, that switch that took place. Let me explain to you if, for just a few moments. Ephraim is technically, through this switch, granted the birthright that technically belonged, that actually belonged to Manasseh, the firstborn. He is now given what belonged to the older son. Oh, some of y'all already way ahead of me know where I'm going with this. That's all right. Just stay with me. Ephraim receives the stronger blessing. He's placed in front of or given prominence over his older brother. That's what happens when the switch took place. Everything that belonged to Manasseh as the firstborn is now granted to the younger-born Ephraim. Everything Manasseh deserved, Ephraim now receives. And everything that Ephraim deserved, Manasseh receives. And this was done on purpose. 
It wasn't by chance. It wasn't by accident. It was done by design and by plan. So when you trace out the results of this switch, you discover that it significantly impacted Ephraim's life. Go back and you can do this for yourself, but I'm going to just fill you in. Did you, do you recognize this morning that Ephraim, just go study his name. Ephraim means doubly fruitful. And at the moment that Israel switched his hands and the right hand comes falling down under his head, Ephraim at that moment begins to fulfill his name. He becomes doubly fruitful. In Numbers chapter 13, or Numbers chapter 1, verse 32 through 34, we discover, if you go and search it out, that Ephraim's tribe now outnumbers Manasseh's tribe 40,500 to 32,200. He's doubly fruitful. Joshua chapter 17 reveals that after the children of Israel crossed into the land of promise, Canaan, that Ephraim and Manasseh, because of the size of their tribe, they go to Gideon or go to Joshua and they request more land and, and say, we got to have some more room. The land that you've allotted us is not enough. And so Joshua grants them an, an additional ridge and says, because you're so large, here's more land. But when you go and discover and search it out, guess who possesses it? Ephraim. Manasseh does not. Ephraim was doubly fruitful. As you re read through Scripture, you discover that from the day of that switch, Ephraim is almost always mentioned prior to Manasseh. There's a law of first mention in Scripture. The first one that is mentioned is the more prominent, the more powerful, the more important. And so Ephraim becomes so powerful and so influential that in many portions of the Old Testament, you discover that when the writer says Ephraim, he uses his name synonymously for the entire nation of Israel. Rather than writing Israel, he just says Ephraim. The switch had impact. When Israel splits and divides against the will of God, you'll remember that King Jeroboam sets up his headquarters in Shechem and Bethel. Anyone, anybody want to guess whose territory those two cities were in? They were in Ephraim's territory. In other words, Ephraim's inheritance becomes the capital of the northern nation. In other words, if you will, Ephraim's territory becomes the Washington, D.C. of the northern nation significant impact. Finally, in 722 B.C., the Assyrians capture Israel and take them captive. And then you know that the Babylonians come in and they defeat the Assyrians and they become the ruling nation over Israel. And after hundreds of years of occupation and captivity to Babylon, in 1 Chronicles chapter 9, verse 3, the Bible tells us, guess who are the only two tribes that escape and are allowed to go back to their homeland? Ephraim and Manasseh, the switch impacted and affected and shaped Ephraim's life. And the Bible declares that it was done on purpose. Well, there's another instance in Scripture where a switch takes place. I read to you in Isaiah 53 the account of this second switch. This switch is seen even more vividly in Matthew chapter 27, verse 45 and 46, when Christ, who is hanging on a cruel cross, says this. He cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you deserted me? Why have you abandoned me? Why have you switched your hands? Christ is the firstborn. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. 
he leaves his place of prominence. He lays down his own life. He comes to earth and hangs on our cross, and he becomes smitten by God. God switches his hands, and he places his left hand on Christ, the firstborn. And he takes that right hand of prominence and that strong blessing and that patriarchal blessing. And he lays his hand of fellowship on us. And everything that the firstborn deserved, we get. And everything that we deserved, he takes. And you know what? It was done on purpose. In fact... It was not by accident. The Bible says that Christ was slain before the foundation of the earth. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It was done on purpose. Acts chapter 2 verse 23 declares that Christ was handed over by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. Which means that Christ died on purpose. The switch had taken place. And just as Israel purposely crossed his hands, God intentionally switches his hands and grafts us in to the body as his sons. We are legally adopted. And just as that switch impacted Ephraim's life, the second switch has dramatically and eternally affected us as well. There are three very significant implications that this switch brings about that we need to talk about this morning. You need to understand that because uh, and at the moment that God switches his hands and lays his right hand on us and his left hand on Christ, that at that moment we are covered and receive his birthright. What does that mean? That means that we have been given life and life more Abundantly, Do you recognize and realize the implications for you this morning? Do you know what that means? That means you are doubly fruitful. Life and more abundant life. In other words, wave upon wave upon wave upon wave of blessing. That is the position that you now have in the family because a switch took place. Romans chapter 8. Verses 15 through 17 paint the picture of this switch that takes place. It says this, For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The, the, the spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs and heirs of God and join heirs with Christ is so that we suffer with him that we may also be glorified together. A switch took place. Galatians chapter 4 verse 7. I love this. says, so you are no longer a slave. You know what we are? You are a son. And since you are a son, God has also made you an heir. Therefore, we have full rights as sons. We are joint heirs. What was his is now ours. His home becomes my home. His position in the family becomes my position. His relationship with the Father now becomes my position in with the Father. And I have access where I can boldly approach the throne of grace. Because a switch took place, we have authority. Now I have the ability and the rights to bind and to loose and to bless and to curse. I didn't have that right before. But because a switch took place, I now have the authority that rested on the first son now rests on me. Because a switch took place, his provision becomes my 
provision. Psalms chapter 16, verse 11, I love this, describes our station in life. Now that the hands have been switched, it says this, At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Because a switch took place, we have become doubly fruitful. Are there any doubly fruitful people in the house this morning? Amen. Because the switch took place, that takes place. Come on, stand to your feet this morning. Think about it today. 
on, if you're alive, let me hear you shout unto God with the voice of triumph today. Give him a shout, give him a shout, give him a shout, give him a shout. Amen, amen, amen. Come on, turn, turn to your neighbor and say, I'm doubly fruitful, then you may be seated. Hallelujah. Amen. And if that wasn't enough, if, if it wasn't enough just to be grafted into the body, if it wasn't enough just to be granted sonship, if it wasn't enough to just become joint heirs and have authority and position and power, then there's another implication. Because when that switch took place, when the hands were crossed, Jesus reveals another implication of that switch. When in Luke chapter 22 verse 19, he says, this is my body which is given for you. I want you to know this morning that we are covered by his body. Because of the switch that took place at that moment, all the afflictions, all the diseases, all the illnesses, all the sicknesses and sufferings that we should carry has been laid on his body because of the switch. Our stripes were given to and taken by him so that by his stripes we are healed. That switch causes him to take what I can't take. That switch caused him to handle what I could not handle. We have inherited health because the Father switched his hands. There's an old Russian fable that tells about a master and his servant. They leave the, uh, the city on a journey to a neighboring city, but before they can reach their final destination, they are caught in a blinding blizzard. And they lose their bearings and they begin to wander with lack of direction, not sure where they're, able, they're going, and they're unable to reach the city by nightfall. The next morning, concerned friends, they go out and they begin to search for the men, and they finally find the master frozen to death, face down in the snow. And as they're weeping and as they're mourning the loss of this great man, they grab him and they lift him up out of the snow, off the ground, and when they do, they find the servant under him. Alive, And then they, they begin to talk to this servant. They say, how did you survive the harsh temperatures? How did you survive the cold? How did this happen? And he begins to explain what took place. He says, my master voluntarily placed his body on top of me so that I could live. That is the story of what takes place. That is a reality for us at the moment that God switches his hands. Christ voluntarily, on purpose, allowed his body to be strapped to a whipping post so that his body would be, cover us and take care of our sickness so that we could live. He takes my beating. Come on, you need to make it personal this morning. He took my beating. He took my scourging, the whipping that I deserved, the cat of nine tails that struck his back and tore his flesh. That was my whipping. And the Bible says that he took it and he did it on one, for one reason and one reason only so that I could survive the cold winds of sickness and suffering and sorrow and so that I could call him my healer this morning.
make it personal this morning. You
covered, we're covered, we're covered, we're covered by his body this morning. Come on, right there where you're standing, if, if you need a physical touch this morning, you need healing. Right in the middle of the message, could you just, if you need a special touch from God physically this morning, could you just raise your hand real quick and keep it up? Look around you. Anybody that's got their hands up needs a healing this morning. Would you just reach out and touch those as a point of contact this morning that have their hands raised, declaring, I need a touch of healing by his stripes, by his stripes, by his stripes. We are healed. Come on, believe. Believe for a miracle this morning. Jesus, we trust the provision of healing that you made for us. Jesus, we believe this morning that by your stripes, because of the whipping that you took, nothing is impossible for you. Sickness has to end. Sickness has to go away. Illness has to cease and desist. Disease has to fall off of us. We declare wholeness and healing over our physical bodies this morning. We thank you for the covering today, Jesus. Come on, tell him nothing's impossible with you, Jesus. Nothing, nothing, nothing. taking my beating this morning, Father. Thank you, Jesus, for enduring that scourging on my behalf, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. Come on now, I told you that we received his birthright and we have authority. And I told you that because of his body, we are supposed to have healing. So I want you to take 
your rightful place in the family this morning with authority in your voice. I want you to tell your neighbor this morning, be whole in the name of Jesus. Come on, tell them, be whole in the name of Jesus. Be whole in the name of Jesus. And then if you can, you can be seated because that's not the end of the story. That's not the end this morning because there's an ultimate implication of this switching that takes place. The ultimate result of the switch is revealed in Matthew chapter 26, verse 28, when Jesus says, For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sin. See, I could, I could have probably made it without his birthright. I mean, if he just let me crawl into heaven, I could have, I could have been happy with that. I could be probably pretty happy with that even without healing I know that I don't want to be sick and I don't want to be diseased and I don't want to suffer but if that's what it took to get into his presence that's all right by me uh, I'm just glad to be a part of the family but there is an ultimate implication that took place because of this switching of hands because when God switched his hands the punishment that I deserved I want y'all to know this morning as nice as I cleaned up on Easter morning I deserved punishment I want you to know this morning, for all of my good qualities and all my good traits, I've already told you, I'm despicable. If you were here during that series, you know that at the depths of my being, in the darkness of my own heart, in the depths of my own heart, I am dark and I am, I am despicable, but by the grace of God. Because of the hands taking that switch and moving and Him placing His right hand on us, our sins have been placed on the oldest son. You need to understand that that is the ultimate implication for us. The death that I should have died was taken by him. But that's not true just for me. That's true for you. You should be condemned to a sinner's hell. You should be condemned to death and destruction. You should be condemned to punishment. But blood was required, so he gave his blood for me and for you. 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 5, verse 21 says this, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Think about that a moment. He knew no sin, but he becomes sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Think about that this morning. Think about the implications of that. That means the sinless for the sinful. That means the perfect for the less than perfect. That means the righteous for the unrighteous. That means eternal life for eternal death. That means that he died that we might live. The switch of God's hands sends the firstborn to our cross to die our death. Why? Why would God do that? Why would Jesus agree to take that kind of punishment? You need to know this morning that Jesus would rather go to hell for you than to spend heaven and eternity without you. He did it on purpose because he loves you. Our punishment, our death sentence, our wrong revoked due to this switch. Mommy, I'm so thirsty. I want a drink. Susanna Petrushian heard her daughter's plea, but there was nothing she could do. She and her daughter were trapped beneath tons of collapsed concrete and steel. Beside them in the darkness lay the body of Susanna's sister-in-law, Corrine, 
one of the 55,000 victims of the worst earthquake in the history of Soviet Armenia. Calamity never knocks before it enters, and this time, well, this time, it had torn down the door. Susanna had gone to Corrine's house to try on a dress. It was December the 7th, 1988 at 11.30 a.m. The earthquake hit at 11.41. She had just removed the dress when the fifth floor apartment began to shake. Susanna grabbed her daughter, but had taken only a few steps before the floor opened up, and they tumbled in. Susanna, her daughter, and Corrine fell into the basement with the nine-story apartment house crumbling around them. Mommy, I need a drink. Please give me something. But there was nothing for Susanna to get. She was trapped. A concrete panel 18 inches above her head and a crumpled water pipe above her shoulders kept her from standing. Feeling around in the darkness, she found a 24-ounce jar of blackberry jam that had fallen into the basement. She gave the entire jar to her daughter to eat. It was gone by the second day. Mommy, I'm so thirsty. Susanna knew she would die, but she wanted her daughter to live. She found a dress, perhaps the one she'd come to try on. She made a bed for the little girl. And though it was bitterly cold, she took off her stockings and she wrapped them around the child to keep her warm. And the two were trapped for eight days. Because of the darkness, Susanna lost track of time. And because of the cold, she lost the feeling in her fingers and toes. And because of her inability to move, she lost hope. I was just waiting for death. She began to hallucinate. Her thoughts wandered. A merciful sleep occasionally freed her from the horror of her entombment, but the sleep would be brief. Something always awakened her. The cold, the hunger, or most often, the voice of her daughter. Mommy, I'm thirsty. At some point in that eternal night, Susanna had an idea. She remembered a television program about an explorer in the Arctic who was dying of thirst. His comrade slashed open his hand and gave his friend his blood. I had no water, no fruit juice, no liquids. It was then that I remembered I had my own blood. Her groping finger, numb from the cold, found a piece of shattered glass. She sliced open her left index finger and gave it to her daughter to suck. But the drops of blood weren't enough. Please, Mommy, some more. Cut another finger. Susanna had no idea how many times she cut herself. She only knows that if she hadn't, her daughter would have died. Her daughter was her only, her blood was her daughter's only hope. And beneath the rubble of a fallen world, he pierced his hands. In the wreckage of a collapsed humanity, he ripped open his side. His children were trapped, so he gave his blood. It was all he had. His friends were gone. His body was broken. His possessions had been gambled away at his feet. His father had switched his hands. His blood was all he had, but his blood was all it took. Jesus said that if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Mommy, I'm so thirsty, the little girl begged. It was then that I remembered that I had my own blood, Susanna explained. The hand was cut, the blood was poured, and the child was saved. God. God, I'm so thirsty we pray. Jesus says, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant, shed to set many free from sins. The hands were switched. His hands were pierced. The blood was poured. And the children are saved. There is a fountain filled with blood. 
drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath the flood lose all their guilty stains. What can wash away my sins? What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the blood that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus.
head bowed, every eye closed. There could be no Easter unless he was willing to give his blood. Listen, Joseph steps in and says, Daddy, you got it all wrong. You put your hand on the wrong one. And I can see the enemy of our soul, the devil, soul, the devil, standing at the moment that Christ is about to die on the cross and saying to God, you've got it all wrong. Don't switch your hands. You don't want them. Why not just love on your son and forget all of them? And God knowingly, wittingly, on purpose, crossed his hands and placed the punishment that I deserved. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more passion resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion. 